0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, it is so good to be back with you after a couple weeks uh, of vacation. Many thanks to all who stepped in and served while I was away and to our guest speakers and all of that. Um, One thing that happened while we were gone is my older son Abel turned 13. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, Dan asks, who authorized this? That's the exact question I have. Um, now, Abel's not here today because uh, he's, he's on a tour of several Major League ballparks with his grandfather, who, it must be said, never took his son on any such tour <laughs> of Major League ballparks, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> so Abel's not here, but I'm not the type of... Uh, Pastor who talks about his kids too much, um, especially when they're not here. But I will say this: um, one of the things that um, we, that one of the stories we told him on his thirteenth birthday was the story of how we named him. Um, now, before Abel was born, Tracy and I had spent a lot of time thinking about what to name him. We had um, this kind of as all parents, I think, s- seem to do, have this very specific set of wants and needs in the name for our child, for our firstborn son. Um, we wanted a name that was interesting and unique, but not, like, weird or anything, you know. Um, a name that would be recognizable, but that there wouldn't be 14 of them in his classroom. Um, we wanted a name that would, would be kind of cool, but not trendy, you know. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the Social Security Administration website looking at the trends of names over the years historically. (laughs) So I would not pick one that was doing this. And, um, you know, um, it probably says more about me than about anybody else. But we hadn't decided by the time he was born. And Abel was born two weeks late. So that is some grade A procrastination, (laughs) if I do say so myself. Uh, And it wasn't until the midwife placed this 9-pound, 11-ounce child on Tracy's chest, and she said, Welcome to the world, Abel Emerson Austin, that, that I knew what his name was. That was on the list, <laughs> but I didn't know. Uh, and so Tracy really made the final call. Um, his middle name is a family name. I, I didn't get this middle name because my father got it from his father, and my father hated it. <laughs> so he did not give it to me, uh, and always wished that he had. So we gave it to our firstborn son. Um, but the first name, Abel, doesn't, didn't really have any significance. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you're a pastor. No wonder you chose a biblical name. And that's not really what it was about. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, the story of Abel in the Bible doesn't go so great. <laughs> right? So I'm not sure why anybody would have thought I picked it for that reason. <laughs> um <clears throat> I will say, though, that in the intervening years, over these past 13 years, I have come to a different understanding, a deeper understanding of the story of Cain and Abel that, um, that makes Abel's name special in a way that I didn't know it would be at the time, and maybe someday I'll tell you about all that. Uh, so for us, though, at the time, the name didn't really mean much of anything, but in the Bible, when a child is given a name, it almost always means something. And we could do some of the historical criticism and say, well, maybe the name is given attributed to the character later because the character did this or that thing and all that. I get all of that, so don't come at me with that. <laughs> but the names have a depth and importance in the Bible that you know sometimes they do for us in modern times, but not always. Sometimes the names end up being kind of prophetic, right? The name of the child becomes the, the adult's identity. And that's the case for today's main character, who is the the biblical character of Jacob. And it becomes especially poignant in the story that we'll look at today. Now, Jacob was a twin, um, like my wife. My wife is a twin. Now, the the birth story of my my wife and my sister-in-law is amazing because they didn't do routine ultrasounds uh, in 19... (coughs) (laughs) And so they thought they were having one baby... (laughs) Until the first one was born and the second one appeared. (laughs) Uh, Can you imagine that feeling, (laughs) moms and dads? Uh, Yeah, I'm told that my father-in-law fainted and then immediately woke up and left to go buy another crib. (laughs) 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 Um, So anyway, Jacob uh, was a twin, and they didn't do routine ultrasounds then either, so maybe they didn't know, except that Rebecca, his, his mother, did know, because from the beginning they were at each other's throats. They were churning in the womb so much that she went to God and said, why am I even alive right now? Which every pregnant woman has said at one time or another. But um, The children struggled within her, the text says. And uh, the Lord told her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger, which of course is the opposite of how things are supposed to go in the ancient world. So when Jacob's older brother Esau was born, he had a lot of red hair, so they named him Harry. <laughs> Esau means Harry. Um, and when Jacob was born, right on Esau's heels, literally on his heel, he was grabbing onto Esau's heel on the way out. They named him Jacob because Jacob means heel grabber, which either meant or came to mean uh, Supplanter, uh, kind of like maybe deceiver. Sometimes people say, but the one who takes the place of another. Remember the the prophecy that the Lord gave to Rebecca, how the younger the elder would serve the younger, and that very much came to be Jacob's identity. He was the one who replaced his older brother in the lineage. He was the younger one who superseded the elder, and so. Well, we think about names a little bit this morning, I want you to think about what your name might be. I want you to state your name for the record. You don't have to say it out loud. And it doesn't have to be like a, a, a Western name, like your, many of your names are. If you had a biblical name, if your name was a word that meant something in Hebrew, <laughs> what would it be? What, what would the name that you were given as a child, what have you, who have you turned into Throughout your life, no matter how young or old you are today, what would be a phrase that characterizes you and defines you? Think about that for a minute. Maybe it's positive. Your name would mean triumphant athlete or salesman of the year <laughs> or deep thinker, life of the party, breaker of chains, okay? <laughs> um, Maybe it's not so positive. Maybe your, your biblical name would be clumsy dancer <laughs> or misfit, or punching bag, drifter. Who are you? I want you to write that name down. If you wish to write it down with a pen or on a note on your phone, you can do so. I at least want you to close your eyes and imagine yourself writing it down. What is your name? Who have you become? So Jacob and his brother Esau were at odds from the, before the time they were born. And eventually Jacob did take his older brother's birthright and he tricked their apparently not very bright father into giving him the blessing that was due his older son, or his older brother. The blessing that was supposed to go to the, the, the eldest son went to the younger son. And Esau was furious and he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob left town. And he was gone for a period of years. Spending time with distant family. He got married twice. <laughs> he had lots of children. Four different mothers. And I'm skipping a lot of the backstory here, but eventually the time came for Jacob to return to his country, and he knew that he had to pass through his brother's country. And he knew that this would be risky. And so, according to Genesis 32.3, which is a little bit before our main text today, Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have lived with Laban as an alien and stayed until now and I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Now the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we have come to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, which I imagine is something of an understatement when the brother who you deceived and stole from is coming to meet you with 400 men. And so the day before he would have encountered Esau in person, when they finally would have met, he makes camp. But then he seems to have a little bit of trouble sleeping, as I imagine I would too. And we'll pick it up in Genesis thirty-two twenty-two. Now, um... If you'd like to follow along with this part of the text, you can turn to page, I believe it's 26, yeah, 26 in the Red Bibles, which are around the room, and we'll read 32:22 22 through um, the end of that chapter. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Uh, I regret to inform you I have nothing spiritual to say about that last verse, but but I figured we'd finish the the chapter. This is what I want to talk about today, wrestling with God or with a strange man or with an angel (laughs) There's some confusion about who exactly this figure is. Jacob asks and doesn't get an answer, and then says, so he seems to think it's God. And that's, that's going to be good enough for me today, for us today. What does it mean to wrestle with God? Well, you know, it's interesting. The text of the Bible here doesn't really tell us what this is about. It says, uh, in a kind of bizarrely matter-of-fact way... <laughs> Simply, a man wrestled with him until daybreak, as if that were a normal thing to happen. It doesn't say why, or how it started, or what it meant. And you know, I suppose that's enough of an explanation for those of us who have spent any time in this kind of struggle and made it out alive. You know, um... Maybe, maybe, maybe it happens when we're under a lot of stress, like Jacob clearly was, or maybe not. Maybe just suddenly we're under attack and we don't know why, but we're fighting for our life or we're fighting for our faith. And the questions come pouring down on us, even as the struggle goes on and on and on. Am I wrestling with God right now or a demon or my own demon? Why is this even happening? When will it end? Is this going to kill me or destroy my faith if I don't win? What does winning even mean in this situation? If I get through this in one piece, will my brother and the 400 men kill me? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a little more specific than some of the other questions. But you get the point. Presumably there's some, uh, there's some more life that happens on the other side of this struggle, whatever it is, however long it lasts. And what's going to happen then? How will it be different? This kind of wrestling with God, struggling with God, contesting with God, doubting God, it, it can be a very disorienting experience. Um. This is something I can speak of with a certain amount of expertise because I, I've had that experience myself. Uh, as many or most of you know, uh, I, several years ago, had this period of intense doubt, even, even while I was trying to be part of a, the pastoral team getting Artisan off the ground. And in 2009, uh, we did this series where each of the founding pastors gave a, a message that kind of bared our souls. We called it Naked Pastors. And um, my sermon title was, Sometimes I Don't Believe, because that was the, about the truest thing I could muster in that year, 2009. And, um, you know, Nadia Boltzweber is a pastor uh, in Denver whose work I admire somewhat, and she, she advises pastors to, um, to preach from your scars, not your wounds, Right? And in this moment, this is a scar that I can tell you about. But at that time, it was more of a wound. But I didn't really have any alternative but to be honest about that and share it with... with, I guess it really wasn't, strictly speaking, you. (laughs) Uh, But those of you who were there may remember that. Um, And uh, to the extent that I've that I've gotten through that and have it in my past, I I feel like I have some things to share with those of you who might be going through it right now who maybe have wounds that you hope someday will be scars because that's kind of the best case scenario. And for those of you in the room who are like, that's never happened to me, probably won't. Just be careful how arrogant you sound, how confident you are. Because I said those words, maybe in 2007, 2008, I don't know. But here's what I can tell you with some certainty. When, when you wrestle with God, when you struggle or contend with God, when you doubt God, what you, what you get out of the experience is usually different from what you want or hope for or expect going into it. Um, so, for example, you long for an answer to your question. Maybe you have lots of questions, but you long for an answer to your most pressing questions. It seems Jacob's most pressing question was, who are you? You know, in a in a culture that had gods everywhere, Jacob's question was, Who are you? Uh, in our culture where there's gods nowhere sometimes, um, our question might be, are you? That was more my question, not who is God, but is God real? Have you had that question rattling around your head at all lately? Jacob didn't get an answer to that most pressing question. And I'm I'm really sorry to tell you that you probably won't either. What Jacob got instead was a question about who he was. the man, the angel, God, asked him, what is your name? Which in the ancient world we know means, who are you really? What what words can I use to define your existence? And so you may be asking, who is God, what is God, is God? And you, you very likely won't get a great answer to that question, but you might get a question turned back at you that's sort of like, who are you? Because going through this kind of thing will force you to identify yourself, your true self. There is no, um, there's no championship belt for this type of wrestling match. There's no moment when you when you achieve victory. There's no pin, right? The only victory is survival. The match, the wrestling match was was a draw, and so. I often tell people who come to me and say I'm having doubts about my faith. Um, Well, first I tell them what my wise counselor told me, um, which is, you know, my life verse is, I believe, Lord, oh, help my unbelief. And then I say to them, uh, doubt tends to be a chronic condition. It's not one that has a cure. It's one that you manage rather than get rid of. So you want an answer, and what you get instead is another question. Here's the other thing that will happen. You will want a blessing, and you will get a bruise. Was that too alliterative for you? (laughs) You want a blessing, and you get a bruise. In the end, Jacob's wrestling opponent jabbed him on the hip socket. Caused him pain. And this is a very important reality, a very important truth, which is that wrestling with God, struggling and contending with God, experience, the experience of doubt is not just kind of confusing and disorienting. It is deeply painful. It hurts, especially if you've been a person of faith for a long time and, and your, your, your identity really is wrapped up in your, in your beliefs, in your community of faith, maybe your family, And suddenly all that stuff has just been dumped out on the table. You're not sure you can get it back in the same order or in the box at all. And you have to deal with the fact that so much of your life's structure was wrapped up in a thing that you might not be able to repair. That hurts. And Jacob left limping. I like to think that he limped for the rest of his life. Um, The comedian Louis C.K. has this great bit about aging (laughs) where he's he's got a a painful ankle and he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you know, your ankle hurts. You need to take a leave. Take two a leave in the morning and at night. And Louis C.K. says, okay, I can do that. How long should I do that for? And the doctor says, forever. (laughs) Your ankle is just... And then he uses a word that means really bad. (laughs) It, 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 you're, it's just a garbage ankle. <laughs> like, this is your thing now. You take leave in the morning so your ankle doesn't hurt. Right? That pain may not ever really fully go away. You may have that limp for the rest of your life. Doubt is a chronic condition. But the good news is that it's not a fatal condition. It's not a terminal disease. Not for your life and not for your faith. When you get into the depths of the doubt, when you've asked the question and gotten not an answer but a question, when you've sought the blessing and gotten not a blessing but a bruise, you start to expect condemnation, a a, a sentence, if you will, and what you get instead is a new identity. This is who you are now. <laughs> you have this pain. You, you, you need to manage it. You're going to take spiritual leave <laughs> for the rest of your life, perhaps. You might have a limp. But now you get a new name. Jacob's name meant deceiver or supplanter the grabber of the heel. And God renamed him Isra'el, which means one who struggles with God. That became his name. And uh, if you know some of the story afterward, it became the name of his entire people. It became the name of of all the people who who received the promise given to his uh, ancestor Abraham. (coughs) They all became Israelites. They all became those who struggle with God. That was their entire community identity. And it's that community identity that that we Gentile Christians have been grafted into. That's what we have become a part of. Heirs to the promise given to Abraham. And with it comes the name. Strugglers. Strugglers. Wouldn't it have been nicer, Jacob must have thought, if he's going to rename me, maybe he could rename me something really good. Like, no longer am I the supplanter. I'm like the legitimate, <laughs> the legitimate king, right? No, no longer am I the deceiver. I'm the, I'm the honest one. Could you change my name to something great? <laughs> like, uh, awesome athlete? <laughs> Salesman of the year? No? I get Israel, <laughs> struggler with God it's less a movement of redemption than maybe he would have hoped but his new name his new identity was as a person who struggles that's just who he was and that's that's what i happen, happened to receive myself as well that's what happened to me i should say in a manner of speaking i just became israel i became one who struggles And the same thing can happen to you, and I I really, I honestly, I hope that it does if it hasn't yet. Because this is the irony. If you will accept this new reality, it's actually quite reassuring. Ironically, it becomes a source of deep peace. The bruise becomes the blessing. Because you, now you have a memory. <laughs> now you have a reminder that your struggle with God didn't kill you. And that even in the depth of your woe, what happened was that God looked at you and loved you enough to take away your old name and to give you a new one. So think for a minute about what your name is, the one I asked you to write down a few minutes ago, your birth name, your Bible name. What was it? For some of you, it might have been really hard and painful to do that. You might have come up with a name that you're not proud of or that puts you in a place you don't want to be. For all of us, but especially for you, I think that the best news I can offer you is that that name is not your name anymore once you decide to follow Jesus and dedicate your life to the way can you imagine now that god is taking that name away erasing it ripping it up putting it in the fire maybe it's good and you do you don't quite want him to do that <laughs> maybe you're thrilled at the chance to start something new good or bad God is ready to take away that name that's defined who you are and instead give you the name Israel, one who struggles with God. That can be your new starting point as it was for me. And uh, my prayer is that you will embrace that, that you will allow the pain to come into your body and into your soul and into your mind and heart And that it will become for you a blessing as you step into a new identity. Let me pray for you. Loving God, pray now for these beautiful souls, these beloved children of yours, wherever they may be, whether they are at the top of the mountain or in the depth of the dark valley. wherever their struggle might be, whether it's long in the past, whether it's not happened yet, or whether they are in the midst of it right now, be present and real with them, even in the struggling and the wrestling. I pray for each one here and for myself that we might know that our bumps and bruises, our limps, are signs of the work that you are doing in us. They're signs of your new identity taking root in our lives. We pray that we would follow along after Jesus with courage and persistence and dedication, even when it's hard, even when it seems impossible. Draw us up. Draw us along. Draw us into your love. That we can be transformed by it and share it with the world around us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you now to come and receive Holy Communion. The body and blood of the Savior is on his table, as it is every week here at Artisan. He offers it. He offers himself to you, to each of you. And if you are seeking to follow him, whether you think you're great at it or terrible... I invite you to come. We have uh, the process of intinction here, so take a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. We have wine and juice. Use the one that would be appropriate for you, for your family. May it be for you the body and blood of the Savior. May it be restoration and sustenance for your hungry souls. And may it be an act of unity with each other and with Christians around the world. Communion. I'll remind you that our prayer team is ready to pray with you at the back of the room and our Teachers are ready for you to collect your children, and they can take communion with you if you'd like. Um, We'll sing a song or two while we take communion together. Come and receive the grace of Christ. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.